Somewhere that should be For all the world to see A statue of a fool made of stone, stone Touch Talk episode number 23. On today's episode, we have on Brandon Hagen from Team Tusk, also known as Seems Good. How are you That's doing, Brandon? Great. I'm doing pretty well today. Cool, cool. And then we also have on Greg Kreger, also known as Vintage Greg from the Tax Men. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Hello, everybody out there. Great, great. So over this episode, we're going to go over Eternal Weekend, which was in Pittsburgh this year. Uh, We'll go over some old school, and then we'll go deep into Legacy. Uh, Sean O'Brien and Greedy Mike recorded an episode focusing more on vintage. So that will be coming out before or shortly after this episode, so you can catch up on more vintage there. We'll probably speak on it a little bit in this episode, but this one is more Legacy-focused. So, gentlemen. Yeah, because I I know I didn't play the actual vintage event, so um, I don't have a whole lot to contribute there. Yeah, I took Saturday off myself just to rest up. Um, so what were you guys' expectations going to Pittsburgh, just hearing Pittsburgh as a city, and that's where Eternal Weekend's going to be? Uh, well, you know, Columbus was a great time last year. I know a lot of people were not too enthused that it was going to be in Pittsburgh because they didn't think it was going to be quite as accommodating as far as food and hotels and that kind of thing goes. But Pittsburgh actually turned out pretty nice. The venue was, was great. Uh, had some good weather that weekend, so I actually was able to walk out and get food and uh, a good time. I go into events. Um, I haven't played Magic very much in the last year or so, so I, I don't really have a whole lot of Magic expectations when I go to events. I'll just play what I know, and uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, just kind of indulge in the gathering of it. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed the social aspect um, more than actually doing like the game. Definitely. How about you, Greg? Do you have any expectations regarding Pittsburgh or your performance? Well, I mean, I was very happy to, to, to go to Pittsburgh, to be honest with you. I'd never been to that city. You know, like you said, we've we've been to Philly and Columbus a few times in the last couple of years. So I was I was actually very happy with the change of pace. The, the quick drive from Detroit, about five hours. So Pittsburgh, all in all, it was it was a very accommodating city. I, I very much liked it. As far as expectations are concerned, though, you know, I don't travel to a lot of tournaments, but when I do, I am very well prepared for them. You know, I had a really fun weekend. I I did well in in every tournament. You know, I had many more wins than losses, prized in, in both the old school and the legacy. So can't complain there. And I was still in the running for prizes in vintage up until about the second to last round. But yeah, you know, like uh, in legacy in particular, you know, I always come to these tournaments and I want to win. And I know that not, there's not a lot, many more losers in the room than there is, you know, that one or two winners in, in, of a tournament. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about tilting and later in this format because uh, me and Evan uh, teamed up on a guy in back-to-back rounds in Legacy and sent this guy in a full tilt mode, alert, <laughs> alert rage. Um, it, it was just his, his luck that he played both of us in back-to-back rounds. So. And in Legacy in particular, I lost my first round. And I just was like, you know what? The last day here, 
I'm just going to enjoy the tournament. And I end up playing my best magic of the entire weekend when I just let up that competitive edge and was just like, I'm going to go out there and just jam games and see what happens. Um, I made fewer mistakes. I really, I really learned a lot about myself uh, in doing it and learned a lot about magic in doing it. So I hope to talk about that later in the podcast. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that too with you because I've had the same similar experiences with that and I've been a firm believer in not caring. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, my expectations personally were that, you know, here in Pittsburgh, it was just more of a steel city or a, you know, a little more of a kind of industrial blue collar. So more reliant on my friends and playing magic and eternal weekend throwing a great event as far as, you know, having a great time. And, uh, Pittsburgh was a great city, uh, looked great. There's a lot of great food we had. People were wonderful. Eternal weekend did a great job, of course. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a wonderful event in Pittsburgh was actually turned out to be a great place to have it. So yeah, totally thrilled with the event. With Eternal Weekend, it kind of kicks off Thursday behind the scenes uh, before respectively champs for Friday and Saturday for Legacy and Vintage. So with Thursday, there's a old school event, which you can partake in. This year, there was 118 players for old school, which was the largest old school event uh, of all time that I'm aware of. Uh, And we had it here in the USA. Uh, with Eternal Central Rules, uh, Jayco kind of cabal taskmastering the whole event, doing a wonderful job. Really cool prizes. There was a Chaos Orb deck box that was handcrafted that just looked amazing. Uh, you can check it out on Twitter. I'll try to post some links in the show notes. But uh, it was a beautifully crafted box, and that was given out to the most creative deck list. We also had a lot of great prizes for creativity and then some prizes for uh, the competitive decks as well, You know, going into the top eight. So, Greg, would you like to speak to Old School? I know you're, you and uh, I had both went into Old School. I know, Brendan, I think you came in later that day. But, Greg, did you want to kind of touch base on your deck and uh, kind of how well you did this year in, in conjunction to last year as well? Yeah, so this is my second Old School Top 8 performance. Uh, I've only played in two because the I think the original ones were always on Fridays and I couldn't make it to the job and whatnot, so... I played in two old school events and I have top aided both of them in Eternal Weekend with two completely different lists. Last year I had a Mud uh, Urzatron list with a bunch of just feeders, Suchi, Clockwork Haven, Juggernaut, uh, Triskelion, Tetravis, those likes. My proudest moment of that tournament was uh, Mirror University and Ben Perry in um, like four, round, round four. Um, you know, really fun list. But I wanted to play something completely different. You know, there's a lot of different goblin lists out there. I see a lot of people trying to play it. And I'm like, look, I'm going to make this as competitive as possible. I, I know how good Ball Lightning is. I know how this deck should curve out. I know exactly what it should be doing. I, I feel like a, people are playing other dirtily cards. Cards like Gauntlet of Might, which one of my opponents cast on me. And I'm like, please be a Gauntlet. You're tapping out four mana for Gauntlet of Might, please. And then I'll just come over the top the next turn and win. I think I remember, yeah, like I even attacked with a ball lightning the next turn, and he's, I'm like, you're at two, and he's like, no, I'm dead because your creature's got plus one, plus one as well. I'm like, oh, you're right. You are dead. Thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I came with a goblin list for the most part. It had one of the best cards, I think, in the entire format, if you can cast it, is, is Yidwin a Freak. 
Um, it doesn't fit into a lot of decks, but it's a 3-6. I didn't even flip a single coin the entire tournament to see whether or not it would block or not because whoa, people whoa. simply don't attack into it. What sort of coin are you using? Uh, I use a British pound that I got um, when I visited London. I guess that was year 2011 or so. Um, it's got the Queen's, you know, Queen's face on one side, and then on the other side it's got a, a dragon. So I particularly like that, that coin. For magic, it flips. It's got this nice, even flip to it. It's a very well-weighted weighted coin, like all British pounds are. And, uh, you know, I even use it. I use it in vintage as well. I use it for my mana crypt because I am kind of a stickler for, for doing exactly what cards say on the cards. A lot of people like to roll dice, and I, and I get that. And you can roll dice on your own mana crypts. Uh, I can't change that. But I have had opponents call judges and be like, He's trying to flip a coin on on his mana crypt, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's my coin, and it's the game I want to. It's the game of chance I want to play. It says it on the card, and uh, every judge is always ruled in my favor. You know, it's kind of a shortcut rolling dice, in my opinion. But each their own, I suppose. I had a really fun time at at old school. Um, probably drank a little too much, but my deck, you know, performed super well. You know, I had four blood moons in the sideboard. That's a pre-win versus so many of the lists out there. Uh, there's a lot of people trying to be really greedy and, and do... Um, I mean, I don't know if they're trying to be greedy or if they're just trying to be creative and do creative things. I do have to say this, though. You know, I, I was... Obviously, I was happy to be competitive again, and I came there to be competitive, but I, I almost felt that Jacko gave out better prices for the most creative list. And I, I think that it's actually kind of great that he does that. He makes old school not just about, you know, if you want to go there and compete and create the, you know, the best deck in the, in the format, you can do that. But you can also just go there and have fun and play whatever you want to play. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think last year there was some, like, Living Plane Drop a Punny list that was super cool by Kevin Cron. Tabernacle was in it. You know, this year it was Cobalt with Ashnoth Altar and, and Fireball by Hunter Pendergrass. And, it, you know, like, it, these are some really creative lists. And I think both guys ended up doing fine in, in the Swiss as well. It, you know, yeah, I just really like the fact that he that he put the prize on, on creativity and uh, that construction. Yeah, it's a good change to have, um, especially with a format like that, where it's, if people wanted to, I think the format would be pretty solved. So it's, it's good to just have some variety. Evan, why don't you talk about what you played at Eternal Weekend, uh, old school, and your experience there? Yeah, so I played uh, Disintegrated Dot Deck, and uh, this was a deck of pure misery. I played uh, four Drop of Honeys, three Abyss, four Candelabra of Thanos, uh, four Blood Moons, four Mana Flares, three Earthquakes, four Fireballs, one Disintegrate, and then uh, basically Power, Good Lands, Tutor Effects, Wheel of Fortune, things of that of that manner. Uh, no creatures at all in the deck. I did have four Mishra's Factories in the sideboard to side out the Blood Moons against monocolored decks, uh, just for pure warfare reasons. Otherwise, I really did poorly, uh, which was quasi-expected. Uh, I brewed it pretty late at night. I wanted to play a lot of value cards. I wanted to disintegrate many men. I did disintegrate a man for 21 life uh, when he was at 7. I uh, stood up and pointed at him and said, I disintegrated this man. And uh, <laughs> I won two games, I believe, and uh, I lost the rest. Uh, I had a great time. Well, and, you know, uh, you got a good story. 
Forgot it though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it was uh, it was fun to play old school. It always is. The uh, eventual winner was a guy from New Zealand who didn't have a deck, uh, or at least left all his decks in New Zealand, and um, pieced it together with cards from a binder. Uh, basically, from what to the best of my knowledge, they put every single card that they could choose from, which was about 120 cards. He was able to borrow. Uh, like some CE, like Ancestral, uh, Lotus, and whatnot, first list, and Library. And they just started making cuts. They cut it down. Uh, you know, I, I remember playing this guy in round six because we were both undefeated at the time. Uh, and obviously, I think that if I win that, that match, I would be first place in the tournament no matter what happened afterwards. But I didn't. He beat me fair and square. Like, I think that. You know, I mean, they were both very close games. Uh, he beat me in two games, and I do remember Wheel of Fortuning. Uh, I had a Black Vice on board, which he's like, all right, I'll just take it. And he goes, unstable mutation, unstable mutation on a White Knight, attacks for, like, I mean, what is that, eight damage? I mean, it, you know, it's just like, wow, yeah, you had double unstable mutation. Uh, I guess that, that happens when you draw seven cards. You know, my deck was kind of an all-in deck. Like, if I'm not attacking, I'm not I'm not doing things right. You know, I was again, I was on Goblin, cards like Ball, Lightning, and, and whatnot. So I don't even necessarily have blockers. But I, I have to give him a lot of credit for for not giving up. Like, like he easily could have just been like, oh, I'm not going to even play in this tournament. I, I don't have my deck. And he didn't do that. And, and he, he ended up creating a deck that was perfect for the meta, you know, it was kind of like a, a mid-range weenie deck, which was honestly, it's just perfect for the meta because um, there were many more aggressive decks in this tournament than in previous old school tournaments. And I think that the format's definitely moving towards aggressive lists as opposed to things like the deck. So yeah, it probably will continue to. I, I just read an article from Steve Mindy and, and he wants to kind of, I think he's kind of crawling for strip mines restriction in that article if, I mean I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with them there's some other cards I think Maze of Ith could definitely come off the restricted list and that would uh, that would really hurt a lot of these aggro lists a lot it would make the control deck uh, viable again but right now I mean the deck is just so poorly positioned in the North American field you know I mean in Europe it's the only list I, I think that like you can even potentially play because they still have Mishra's Workshop restricted. Don't understand that. You know, I mean, I played, I played the best Mishra's Workshop list, or, or you know, like there's a couple cards that I was a little bit um, attached to, like Island of Whack Whack and Force Field in my sideboard from last year. That that could be other cards, but right. for the most part, my list was was dead on accurate. Like what you should be playing if you want to play the most competitive Mishra's Workshop list in the format. And while it is a good list, it's it has a lot of like flaws to it. Um, it can easily be beaten. So, you know, I don't think that Mishra's Workshop is, is overpowered in, in the old school format. So potentially some changes that uh, you know might be worthwhile to look at. But really, it's, there's not a whole lot of old school coming up uh, large events until probably next year. Because Channel Fireball is trying to offer old school as their side events uh, for their Grand Prix. But they don't allow collector's edition. I don't even think they uh, they allow chaos orb as a 
card in that format. Right. They've got their own um, kind of weird uh, format that they've created. And uh, the, the whole no CE thing is, is really, I know I would be playing if they actually had CE as an option. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, half of my deck was was CE. Um, you know, I I mean, I could go get cheap revised copies if I really wanted to, but um, well, you still miss the power. You would still be missing, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. For a lot of players, want power. to play old school four. But man, I mean, like, like uh, collector's edition Lotus was going for like seven, eight hundred dollars that weekend. And yeah, I was seeing them on site for that much, um, and I know I picked mine up for three hundred. Not, not six months ago or so. It's, it's I sold. Incredible. I had a backup backup piece, and I sold uh, my my CE Lotus in August for like four hundred and fifty five hundred dollars. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, for it to just go straight up from there, I get it. Like, you know, there's not a lot of these things. I guess a lot of collectors edition was never open. Um, right. Right. But in, and you know they're just finding their way, and and then all of a sudden there's just no supply out there but it still just seems ridiculous to me like you know if, if a CE Lotus is $800 but you can buy a really banged up unlimited one for like 2800 if you really search the threads and, and go on like high-end magic on Facebook and, and a variety of different outlets you can get a banged up one that is sleeve playable for like you know around 3000 and under if you're really really lucky at finding one but you can still buy. How, how can you justify spending eight hundred dollars on a CE Lotus that you can't play in a tournament? You know, like. Yeah, I mean, and right now it's looking like the only way you can play it is just the non-channel fireball old school stuff, which is kind of a shame because, you know, it's 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 a casual format as it stands, and they really don't need to be sanctioning it. No, not um, at all. Whole, not at all. I mean, like it, I, I've definitely been a, to magic tournaments before where. Yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't. You, sh you shouldn't be playing for Planeswalker points if you're playing old school Magic. It should, you know. We don't care. Wanna, yeah, we don't care. Like, I don't even know why you have to put it in the computer system if you're going to run a side event for it. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't understand it. I understand that it's it's a Wizards event, and they they want to keep Wizards playable cards. They don't want proxies. But you know, Collector's Edition is a Wizards product, so I I don't see where, where the barrier is right now if they want to just allow that for. For real small for casual, side events, like like for like, casual like old events, yeah, absolutely. Right. I don't know. Like, old school just feels like a whole different ball game to me. Cards yeah. should just be legal. Yeah, if you're listening, wizards, uh, loosen up on the the collector's edition stuff, especially in in the uh, you know casual format. Loosen up. So they adopted um, commander or EDH, and that's a format that had a ban list that was at some point centered around money. They had cards that were banned for monetary value. Now Wizards hasn't undone that. I mean, you know, but it's one of those things where it's it's um, there's not enough good reasons, I don't think, for them not to allow CE at their events. They should be legal in all formats, in my opinion. They're printed by Wizards of the Coast. They have flip cards. They allow alpha cards. They allow different cornered cards. I know that was Sean's debate um, when they, when they announced Nistrad, announced flip cards. He snap bought CE. Just full sets of CE, multiple sets. But they, at some point, allow um, you just to play CE duels, play CE power in your vintage events. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and that hasn't happened yet. But I mean, again, there's really no good reason. Um, 
it's definitely not a car back issue, really. So. It's just an issue of greed, like company greed. Yeah, I mean, does that violate the reserve list? I don't know. Probably not, but it's. I mean, it it doesn't because they're not they're not printing any. If those cards are already printed, you know, and they're printed in the right time frame, it just really makes no sense to me. Yeah. Um. It's anyway. So yeah. But there there will be events outside of Eternal Weekends. I know that there's a lot of places on the East Coast that are doing ninety three ninety four events. Also in Chicago, I mean, they run play groups with like twenty thirty people. You know. We've got uh, one at the, a local store that I play at, R.A.W. Hobbies, uh, in Livonia, Michigan. Um, I believe it's the weekend after Thanksgiving, but they're giving away a complete set of the dark. And if we get more than eight people, there will be additional prizes. I think the entry is like $10. I mean, uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be able to make that. I would love to. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely old school tournaments out there. You need to hunt them down. They're like a regional thing. Like you know, you, you should expect no, it, to drive. But, and that's that's know. that's just perfect because old school should be that that kind of format. It shouldn't be the uh, the side of it at a GP. Yes. And yeah. you, you see, like European tournaments all the time, and that's that's what they want to be. Is they they want to be that um, very social, very casual old school event. And, and the Lords had an event actually just a few months ago with uh, over fifty people, which is great. Yeah, Chicago that's, that's old awesome school players ball. Is that is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Yep. The the players ball was exactly that. Uh, yeah, I had amazing a, event. Yeah, I really wanted to be there. I really wanted to go to that one. It, it sounded like that was one of the best tournaments. Uh, everybody enjoyed it. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So uh, all in all, the Eternal Weekend old school event was a smash. Again, 118 players. Everyone was really happy, just having a great time. New faces, old faces. Jaco did an amazing job. Definitely recommend it to you. As always. Yeah, as always. Got to give, give him props, you know. Definitely, definitely. Uh, highly recommend it to anyone that kind of has it in the back of their mind or back pocket, just thinking about attending it at some point. You, know, you can whip together a deck. You know, you don't have to have the most high-end pretty cards. You can kind of just go more utilitarian. There's a lot of people that, you know, are playing – you know, decks that don't have power or using revised cards, fourth edition, there's people that just only want to play power, et cetera. So you can kind of tailor it how you want, and everyone's just there to have a good time. So highly recommend it. So I didn't play this year because I I, um, I used the excuse that I wanted to work that day to not take extra days off from work. And I don't think that excuse is good enough for next year. I think I'm going to you know, try and make that a priority, be there for old school, and, and actually play the event. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it's quite the opportunity. It's, it's, it's a rare chance to play. And there's actually really a lot of great players there. I mean, as casual of a format as it is, you have some really great competitive players there. And it's really nice to kind of be in that environment with people that very competitive, play Magic real tightly, real well, and they're kind of just more in a lax state, and everyone's just kind of having a good time and playing Magic for Magic. Uh, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was Thursday. Yeah, that was Thursday. Uh, yeah. So then you came in Thursday night, right, Brandon? Friday was my first day of the event, and I, I was just there to play side events. Um, I didn't bring vintage. I don't really know enough about the format really to play it, and so my plan was just to play legacy side events. Um, I went in, played a legacy trial, went o three, not winning a single game, and then decided not to play the rest of the day. It was a fairly short day for me, and I just ended up watching vintage matches. Yeah, I saw Sean. Sean O'Brien got a camera match. That's cool. I you think did. You got a feature match. Um, yeah. I know both of you played Vintage. 
I played one Magic side event, and I won two drops. Friday, I just wanted to remember how to play the game. Um, yeah, me too. Just it, had, it had easily been two months, and I just wanted to make sure I remembered how to play the deck, and then just walk around and check out the vendors, For which sure. were fine. Um, a lot of them brought uh, like high-end uh, betas and alphas, and high-end foreign foils. Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of pickings down in the uh, the ten to thirty dollar range, uh, which is usually where I try and shop for for just playables. Good day overall. I did play in the vintage. I played workshops. I did do some things differently than a lot of other players. Some of my some of my deck construction decisions were were really smart, like snare thopter. I still swear by snare thopter. I think the card is absolutely outstanding. It won me multiple games where no other card could have could have won me that game. Uh, one in particular was where you know I started off strong, capitalized, and my opponent started. My opponent was on uh, Jeskai Mentor, lands Mentor, starts picking off my artifacts, starts building uh, building back up, and it's, it's slowly taking control of the board. But he's at you know a low life like six, and I ripped Snare Thopter and just just got there. You know it was able to attack over the token. It was glorious. It was the best card I could possibly draw. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't play any sphere effects. I ended up trying to play, uh, I, I played four Sorcerer's Scryglass main. They were okay. Uh, really, ultimately kind of disappointed in that strategy. Obviously, the lists that top-aided uh, all had a very consistent build and all had very similar cards in, in their shops list. So I wish that I had followed a, a more just net deck version of the list. You know, I had known about Steel Overseer for a long time. I played Steel Overseer in Legacy. Uh, I ran one copy in, in my list. Seems like four of was was the call of the tournament. I don't know. I was I was kind of um just a little bit like Vintage was actually my least fun tournament of of all the days that I was there. It felt right. It felt like um you know, and I I was actually you know I I did pretty well. I think I was five and two. Going into a round where I played Jarvis Wu, Legacy Lands player, Pro Tour player, Channel Fireball Rider. He was on a paradoxical outcome and, you know, beat me really, really quickly. So, you know, that, you know, once I was eliminated from prizes, I think I dropped after that. So I was either five and three or six and three. I forget how many rounds there were. There might have been 10 rounds. So I was, I think, six and three. And then I dropped for the last round. It, it just felt, vintage to me felt like, um, like a rock paper scissors format kind of like modern has felt in the past which has made me not like modern there didn't seem that the, there's no edge really in deck construction right now in vintage so the edge is absolutely knowing the format and playing i guess like moto is a huge advantage right like if you just grind moto all day every day like montolio does and, and you know even rich shea plays a lot online those are the, the two guys that did the best in the tournament, right? Um, so there, I mean, there is edge, but it involves, you know, really devoting yourself to the to the format, and it's a lot less as far as as deck construction is concerned. Um, my losses, though, like my early losses to blue decks before I lost to paradoxical, I mean, all involved me just getting energy flux. Like it was just like, yep, here it is. Like I have an energy flux. You don't have enough spheres to prevent me from casting it. Uh, you're dead to this. I'm, I'm dead to this. I'm dead to this and, and like combinations of stony silence and whatnot. And to me, that's where it felt like I'm like, you know, I played dredge last year and it was just like, yeah, I'm playing workshops and I feel like 
there's this kind of dredge hate package that I just can't really beat. I can try to play through it a little bit. And then in combination with that, it was just like mirror matches. I played, I played a couple mirror matches, you know, it, the, the variety in, in the field right now is there's not a lot of it. You know, there's, there's shops, there's oath, there's some mentor lists out there still, there's dredge. I don't know what's going to happen to vintage going forward. I, there's a lot of people calling for Mishra's workshops to be restricted, which to me, I've always loved the card. And, and you go back and you're like, well, four years ago, we could play four Lodestone Golems and four Spear and four Thorns and, and four, four Frexy Menopause. Four Chalice. And, and the results were, you know, not as strong as they are right now. So what's, what is actually the problem here? Is it, is it because the blue decks are cannibalizing each other and just playing all these mental missteps and have all these bad draws against shops? It could be. No, it's um, cheap the Foundry. I mean, yeah, yeah. Is it Foundry Inspector? Is Foundry Inspector just like or, yeah. better than Lodestone Golem? Like, I mean, Foundry Inspector <laughs> has been impressive whenever I cast it, but I, I mean, you've got to be kidding me, right? Like, it's not a better card than Lodestone Golem. No, I so, know. Um, so, like, what is going on here? And I, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. Something's gonna gonna change. Obviously, they're not gonna let this happen. They've they've proven to be very proactive in in the vintage format as far as restrictions and whatnot. So something's going to change. I don't know what the solution is. I, I'm kind of prepared for everything. At this point, I'm kind of hoping that like one alternative that would that I would like to see, and there are multiple ones. I'm not going to speculate on all of the possible things that they could do for the format, but one that I wouldn't mind seeing is a restriction of, of Mishra's Workshop and an unrestriction of Trinisphere. But again, you know, I have no idea what what Wizards is going to do, what the DCI is going to do for this format. I mean, it just really felt like no, it's, it felt like a modern tournament to me. That's I mean, can you, like. can you imagine a deck having a land that taps for three mana for an aggro strategy outside of shops? I mean, that's I think like the heavy boost in the aggro creatures and and just going that route seems very correct. Um, where artifacts. You know, as a mono color, might be the most strong with vintage in general. And then when you put in aggro creatures that are adding counters and lowering mana costs, um, you know, with a land that taps for three, I think that might be part of the issue. Um, I do lean towards you know blue decks kind of cannibalizing themselves as well. But we saw a similar effect in Legacy, where you know a lot of people had a huge problem with miracles, but I think it's pretty fair to say that a lot of the field wasn't prepared for the deck. Like they weren't strategizing against it, understanding how to play the matchup. Um, the deck was powerful. It did need to be nerfed. It didn't need to be destroyed, in my opinion. Um, it's definitely a little different than shops, but I do think you have kind of some similarities where, you know, there's just a powerful deck and people just throw their arms in the air uh, rather than figuring out a line of attack. I don't mind dominant decks. Um, you know, on some level, at least, then you know you're going to play against it, and so you can actually build your main board to kind of counteract that. Um, I mean, contrary to most people, I actually I enjoyed Callblade Standard for that very reason, because you could go to a tournament and you would expect to play Callblade at least half your matches. Right, it's a good point. So you just you build your main board to 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 prey on Callblade, um, yeah. and then you just you just understood that you know. 
that was something you were going to have to deal with. Um, and it feels like that's the way it should be with shops is that um, you understand you're going to play against shops or you understand you're going to play against dredge if that's a big deal. Um, and so you just, maybe you hedge with a couple cards in the main board, um, which I think that's what some of the mentor decks were starting to do was to you know put uh, cards like a braid in their main board um, just to have that as a little bit of an extra insurance against what they needed. Yeah, Braid, Braid not that, is a very solid card. You know, I mean, my, my thing, again, back to the whole, like, you know, diversity in, in Vintage right now is that I don't want to play... If I'm on Mud, the last thing I want to be doing all day is playing Mud Mirror Matches. Like, it's just too much of a coin flip, again. And, and like, yeah. where, that's, where is that's your edge? How can you... How can you... Like, the, the blue deck, at least with blue decks, if a blue opponent is playing a blue opponent, then, you're, then you can leverage your own play skill in in how that matchup is going to turn out right like generally um the better player in a blue mirror match wins you know not obviously not always but it, it just seems to be the case and, and i can't really say the same thing about shops i can't say that like the better shops player always and it's just it's just a completely different list and it's a lot i don't want to say it's easier to it is easier to pilot it's easier to pilot it's easier to pilot that like you don't need to have a full on you know wealth of information about the game to win with shops. You don't. You and not to keep talking about standard, but I think Callblade is probably the most apt comparison. Um, the better player would always win the Callblade Mirror. Um, that was almost always a given, and that was another deck that uh, was was dominating the format. Um, got a few bans and actually got better after the bans. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's not always the cards. It's just it's the way people are building their decks to prepare against that. Um, and at some point, there is definitely um, at some point it does become you have to cannibalize your list so bad just to beat shops that it's not worthwhile and it's not healthy. But I don't know if it's really there yet. <laughs> um, I'm sure vintage will be talked about more with the other exactly. podcasts as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, we can brush over it. I mean, that was yeah. my experience. You know, I did all right there. Talk about legacy. Let's get to that. That's what I think we all came to talk about. Legacy main event was Saturday. It was 700. Yep, 711. Sorry, Brandon, you cut out for a second. Oh, my bad. Yeah, 711 players, uh, 11 rounds, cut the top eight. Yeah, let's very, very stop round. there. 11 rounds. So we're sitting down, everybody, you're all at your player's table, and you hear that we're going to play 11 rounds of fucking Legacy. What's going I- through your mind? I kind of knew it was going to be that long, but it didn't really dawn on me until like round seven just how long 11 rounds is because round seven was like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. I hadn't eaten lunch and I realized, holy cow, we're not going to finish until almost 10 30, 11 PM um, at, at best. It had been a long time since I played an event that long. Um, usually at some point I just tire out and just drop no matter how I'm doing. It was nice to actually finish all 11 rounds this, this tournament. Yeah. It's an accomplishment in itself. Yeah. Just, just kind of toughing it out was, was, was part of the fun. Yeah, I just kind of laughed at it. I just thought it was completely insane and uh, was just expecting to drop fairly quickly. I had no buys, was just ready to pack it up at 02 and start doing other things. I started kind of planning out my day uh, after they had announced that because it just kind of makes me faster to drop from the events, uh, you know, when I hear 11 rounds. But, uh, Greg, what were you thinking? You know, I was very happy with my list. I, I felt like I played the Abyss Affinity. Uh, no one really had any idea what I was doing all day. So, you know, that's a huge advantage. And I was prepared for this tournament. But, you know, the first thing that happened to me was 
I lost in round one. I lost to a Miracles guy. The guy ended up going on to be like ninth or tenth in the entire tournament. And, you know, like you said, because the whole 11 rounds and I, I knew my, my prize situation from yesterday, you know, in the, in the vintage thing that I'm like, well, I'm just going to play this thing out. I know I can't top eight at this point already. Uh, I'm just going to have fun with this. I'm going to let loose. I came here to play magic. Let's play magic. And, um, you know, I, I played some really good magic that way. I, I think I got at one point in that tournament, I was, I was three and three and, uh, I ended up still placing top 64 in, in the event. And, you know, I will go through some of the stories, but I mean, ultimately I just felt like whenever, whenever I got back to a situation where I thought I could, you know, like, Oh, I can make a real run at this. And I started getting nerves. Again, you know, that kind of nerves that you get for playing, you know, I mean, you travel, you put all this time and energy into your, your list, you want to see it succeed. And, you know, there was definitely some tight opening hands that I decided, uh, you know, like, I don't know, I, I just wasn't at ease like I was when I thought that I had been eliminated from the tournament and I was just playing for fun. When that happened, I just, I started making a lot clearer and, yeah. you know, like, they were just easier decisions that I was maybe I had maybe been stressing out earlier in the tournament or days, you know, like in vintage or whatnot. But like, I was just like, no, I had this clarity and the clarity really helped me, you know, run off that, that five Oh and, and get a prize. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, we had a podcast just before this one, I believe. And we had uh the SCG classic and I did well in that tournament and I had that exact same state of mind where I just actually wanted to lose in the beginning so I could go do something else. And uh, <laughs> once, once that pressure kind of gets out of your way, I feel like the players that really get into it, they really want to win. They want to play the best deck. They're either, they've, they've fully gotten there and then variance is on their side, you know, God bless them and, and they get there. But typically what's happening to a lot of the players in my opinion is they're, they're, they're having a hard time balancing that focus with just being fogged out with like their emotions and their own pressure. And it, it kind of like removes them from making really clear decisions and uh, just kind of being one with their deck or, you know, just having that, that focus where they can believe in themselves and their understanding of the deck that they're playing and, and not getting too, basically there's a real easy chance to overthink things in life. So moving in the heart of the card. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I and I, I did the same thing as Greg in this event, uh, and I, I also had good results. So it's it's good to hear someone else kind of go in that same vein, and I'm I'm glad you you uh, had that epiphany. Uh, oh Greg. yeah, I just wish that it you know it hadn't happened on on Saturday, and like I wonder, you know, I I, I can't wait to go to another Magic tournament and just kind of let loose and just play loose and you know not just be overcritical or, or almost, you know, like, Oh, should I take this mulligan or not? And it's like, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. You, you need a mulligan mulligan. Like, you know, go down yeah. to five cards. Like, don't even worry about it. You're just here to play a game. Like don't try to win. And if you don't try to win, you don't put that pressure on yourself. All of a sudden you start winning and it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. That is, that is kind of not, how I expected this to go, but it, that's the way it went, and it's definitely something I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do 
moving forward at every Magic event that I play on. Yeah, and, and you don't stress yourself out, you know? Like, it's kind of miserable to stress yourself out even if you're doing well. Um, you're, you're kind of losing out on just having a good time and being on vacation. I mean, slamming through 11 rounds and doing pretty well in cashing, like, if you do the math on it, it's like, I mean, like, 13 hours of work, basically, you know, like... It's it's really not um, worthwhile to to try and actually profit from these events. Yeah, I mean, it's critical thinking. Like, I I honestly am thinking harder than I am at my job, I feel like, you know, like... (laughs) Certainly, like, probably are. Yeah, like, I mean, like can, my can be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can walk away at certain times at my job and think, or go do. You know, like I, it's not. There are times where it's real busy, of course, and there's some really heavy thinking, but not 13 hours straight where like I'm basically locked in a chair, and then also locked in like you know this this convention hall, you know, with like just nonstop noise and like just crowding, and it, it's just. There's a lot of wear and tear, you know, over 13 hours and what you walk away with after cashing. It's like, yeah, I could have just worked my job for like, you know, however much you make and do the math on it and it probably will do you better. Um, So you just got to keep that in mind also, or it's just like, even if you do really well, it's like, you know, are you really like banking so hard compared to your normal life? Like, it's kind of more to me that, you know, caching or whatever is kind of just a bonus to having fun, you know, but I not everyone sees it that way. Um, just for the sake of paying for dinner. That's fair. You know, that's, that's fair. That's like, it's, it's a good feeling to say that, you know, I, all my meals were paid for because I did well this weekend. I got two illusionary masks. I got two Hercules recalls from Antiquities Tower Strip Mine. I won 120 credit, and I donated it all to John Jansen. Nice, nice. <laughs> he bought Goblin Guides and then left a lot of it left over. So. That's well. cool. We all top 60 Ford, spoiler. Um, and No brainstorms. And no one played blue. I got top 32, I got 25th. Uh, Brendan, you got... 37, I believe. 37th, and then yeah. Greg. three. Yeah, I stuck yeah. in there at 54. Uh, I think that, honestly, I needed a lot of things to happen for me to place when I was at 3-3, three and three, and one of them was a lot of people, when they picked up their second or third losses, dropping from the tournament, and that happened. You know, again, I, I kind of set out at the beginning of the day, I'm like, you know, I'm going to play all 11 rounds. Uh, that's that's going to be my accomplishment, you know, after I get this, this first loss. I'm going to play every single round after this and just see how I can do and learn about my deck, you know, at a very high level. I mean, all of my opponents were what I would consider a quality opponent. I mean, everybody, everybody there was, was good, um, in my opinion. So it was just kind of fun playing against that kind of competition as well. Yeah, the competition was great. And I actually played against a very diverse field, surprisingly. The only match, uh, only deck that I saw twice was Elves. So otherwise, it was all <laughs> different decks. Including well, some, some interesting ones. But uh, speaking of elves, Brandon, did you want to kind of go through your experience? Yeah, so I, I played um pretty straight just elves list um, with uh, two Nissas really being the only, the only standout feature and uh, and two choking the board. Played it to 03 on uh, Friday at the trial. And then uh, on Saturday, I was 6-0, um, 
got a camera match, lost that, lost the round after that, and then um, lost the last round to finish eight and three. Um, I, unlike Evan, I played a lot of duplicate matches. Round one was Red Green Lands. Close matches, he missed on a dredge and couldn't find enough resources for his Molten Vortex. I played against Pox. That was fine. Kind of a weird game. Um, I won off two death rates that he just couldn't kill. Then I played against Red Green Lands again. Um, so my first three rounds, I played against Tabernacle uh, almost every game um, <laughs> and had, a, had some pretty fun experiences with that. I wasn't expecting to play Red Green Lands twice that tournament. Uh, after that, I started to get into what, you know, what you would expect from the field. It was Brixis Delver, uh, Czech Pile, uh, Blue Red Delver with Beaumont Courier in the sideboard. Brixis Delver on camera, uh, lost that one to Automolda 3. And then it was Black Red Reanimator, lost that one to his turn ones. So, hold on one second. With the camera match, that was really great. As far as, like, the ending, can you touch base on just, like, the notepad part? Uh, that really made me laugh. Yeah, so I'll just go over the whole match just real briefly. Um, game one, I kept a one-lander, uh, produced like six power on turn two, and then kind of just one off of that. Um, game two, he just had he just had better presence. Uh, and then game three, I molded three, uh, going through a bunch of double triad overhands that I really just couldn't work with. I was so dead that game, uh, but he ended up uh, Snapcaster Overload Electricery, which is not a valid line of play. Switch chat went crazy about that. Uh, they brought in someone and gave him a, a GRV afterwards. So the, the notepad thing was that they basically told us right as the match ended um, that he had essentially incorrectly played his electricery. Uh, so right on the notepad, I just tried to write down, uh, don't care about electricery, just to make sure that he didn't get prosecuted on. Twitch chat loves to do that. <laughs> um, and I think that worked out, so... You know, nobody really gave him a hard time about it because it is kind of a weird interaction. And I, I really, I was so far out of that match, I didn't really care. Yeah, I thought they were going to cut the camera on you once you started writing on the notepad. You kind of they cut away um, they, after I'd already gotten like enough of the words out. And so the commentators finished the sentence, and, and that was that was good enough. Yeah, like you could have wrote anything. That's amazing. <laughs> it was taking me a while too because like yeah. my pen is such a thin, thin line pen. I was like, wow, um, they're really letting him go off right now. Like, he could just be drawing. I could be drawing dead. Yeah, he could be drawing a big dead. Yeah. I don't so, know, drawing sex acts all over the piece of paper. You're a classy anyway, so, guy, and they let you do your thing. That was cool, and that was funny. I lost that match to Grixis Delver, and then immediately turned around. Um, and I, I'm, I'm one of the players that kind of tilts. Um, not so much that I actually get upset with myself. I just I stop uh, thinking as hard after I take a loss. Lost to Black Red Raymaner, which fortunately I don't have to think that much. They kind of just roll over me, um, and then got back into it on round nine. Uh, one against Sneak and Show with Omniscience, uh, then one against Checkpile, played by Menguchi, and then I lost last round to Sneak and Show when he had a just a natural turn to on the play. I like the Miguchi videos, the videos that he does, the yeah, so Fireball content. I think that they're, had, they're pretty entertaining. He had, um, had kind of a rough match. He... Um, Game two, he got stuck on like uh, just underground C into death rate. I got to see his hand, didn't see anything, uh, and then just slam choke on turn three. And uh, that basically just won the match right there. I love choke. I love choke. <laughs> he didn't have any answer to it, couldn't really deal with it. I slammed a second one just for, for backup, and then that it just went pretty fast from there. He told me that he was going to be making a, uh, an Elf's video, I think later that week, he said. And uh, he's already got that out, and uh, if you want to go watch that. 
I didn't watch the whole thing. He made a lot of misplays game one, and I didn't want to look at it. <laughs> he turns on his stream game one with Elson. He basically makes every play I would not make, and so I, I turned it off immediately. <laughs> he might uh, he might have improved since then. I'm not sure, but he definitely didn't have a play check pile. He just he couldn't really he couldn't make anything happen game two. He just got steamrolled. Uh, I know he finished X3 though, so he finished um, I think right around where I did. Well, all my matches were pretty good. Um, you know, I, I got to play against two Grixis Delver decks, one Blue Red Delver deck, um, which is fine. That's kind of what I was looking for, and two check piles. I consider those to be all pretty, pretty winnable, pretty easy matchups. The matchups I was less fond of was the the two Sneak and Show and the Blackheart Reanimator, uh, which were all later in the day. And that's just that's just the way it is with Elves. You just some of your matchups are just really tough. Um, Sneak and Show just just has every advantage over you. They're they're faster. They're low on. You get to play, you know, like sweepers, like Coz Lex Return, um, and you're really you're crushing on your discard spells. So there's not a whole lot you can really do in that match. But thankfully, it kind of worked out pretty well. Whenever I play Elves, I kind of get either get screwed by playing against a bunch of combo decks, or I, I you know, run hot and play some good matchups, like uh, all the decks, uh, all the Delver decks. Choke was an all-star. Um, I came in almost every match uh, after those Red Green Lands decks, and Choke just just did a number on almost every opponent I played. That's great. I mean, I, I love the card choke, and I uh, I haven't leaved it up in a while because I haven't played a lot of green lists, but, you know, beat those blue ducks. Beat them, you know, just beat them, choke them down. Yeah, and, and the nice thing about Elf is that I can I can play a choke, it can get force of willed, and then I can just kill them with natural order. Um, you know, it's... it's Sure, yeah, bait them, it's, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a big enough threat um, that oftentimes you can just you can use it as bait. Um, you have enough redundancy in your, in your threats that Sometimes it doesn't actually matter. Sometimes it's just there. Uh, so it's nice to have a high impact card like that. Um, that's kind of low on the curve, and I can, I can just slam it, and it can be a good target. Definitely. So, uh, so Greg, did you want to give us a little run through of your uh, your experience and, and the deck you played? Sure. I, I ran. Um, you know, again, the, the Abyss Affinity. I'm gonna put a uh, an MTG. The source is it? Is that the Legacy Thread? I'm gonna put my list up there shortly. Uh, I think the worst case scenario is that maybe people start playing more Null Rod, but um, the deck has, it attacks on a couple of different angles and axes, but it's it's kind of like a mid-range control list at this point. It's got Walking Blista, it's got Steel Overseer, it's got Lodestone Golem. You know, the deck originated with the idea that I wanted to play the Abyss. It's like one of my favorite cards, and I, I think it's under played in Legacy. Uh, so I wanted to build a deck that could play the Abyss, and I wanted to play Lodestone Golem because it had been restricted in Vintage. Um, so I've been actually working on this list for quite a while. Before even cards like Walking Ballista fell into my lap, I was playing things like Hangerback Walker, which really is just not a good card in Legacy. Um, Flicker Wisp and Swords of Plowshare and a variety of things make it not good. But Walking Ballista is just outstanding. You know, obviously it's a four chalice, the void list, plays the eight soul lands. You would expect it to City of Traders and Ancient Tomb. It's got two Mox Diamonds, has three Mox Opals, and four Vault of Whispers, uh, which is the black artifact land. So there's a lot of different ways to, to power out a chalice for one on turn one. Um, I played four main deck Sorceress Spyglass, which I boarded out of almost every single matchup. 
So that is definitely a sideboard card. It is not a main deck card, even when you can hit things like Deathrite Shaman or uh, Fetchlands, which we will discuss um, again when we when we get to the Tilt guy. We're going to set that thing up because I've got other stories. You know, my, my Swiss rounds, the entire time I was debating the Manland that I played, which I, I played Ink Moth Nexus, and it had always been really good, but it was not the correct choice. Uh, it cost me my first round. Uh, against miracles because in that game I got my opponent basically down to one like since I had like Arcbound Ravagers I could have taken a couple different lines but every time the math count it got him exactly down to one in both in both games that we played I think he beat me uh, 2-0 um, I just couldn't cross the finish line and and part of that reason was because I had Ink Moth Nexus as opposed to like historically I had played I had always had a great matchup I used to eat miracles all day long. It was the deck that I wanted to play the most because I had four factories, I had four Ink Moth Nexus, uh, you know, all these man lands and just ways of attacking it. But I cut Mishra's factory because Miracles, I mean, it still is represented, but it went from like, say, 20% to, you know, less than 5%. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I cut, I cut down factory, I cut it out, and Ink Moth had always proven to be very good at blocking a uh, variety of different flying creatures. Uh, whether it's Merit Lage or Delver or this, this map. But the format was dominated by Delver. I wish that I had played Blink Moth Nexus. That's the card that I will be sleeving up for the foreseeable future, especially in, in this world of Delver, because it can actually kill a Delver of Secrets as opposed to Ink Moth, which can't even do that. Yeah, if I had made that one subtle change, I, I know my entire day was a lot different. So I was spending a lot of my, my time thinking about that and, and what what land that should have been again when i had stopped caring and i just i started playing magic i guess it was my round like eight or nine opponent was uh brian cook who is a known the tps the perfect storm uh the epic like, storm yes tes is that what it is yeah 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 so yeah he's a he's a known player of that um fortunately my one of my teammates uh rolando from the taxman um, was also on the deck, and he's like, if you ever play this guy, know not to bring in your ley line of the void because it's not it's not a graveyard deck. So honestly, I had great great scouting information from my teammate just randomly because he's like you know playing the deck also and, and follows the guy in, uh, on social media or whatever forums. So I, I had that advantage and game. He beats me in game one. Game two, I land a lodestone golem. He's like, oh, fuck, that's a real magic card against me. I can't really beat that. <laughs> uh, game three, so I'm on the draw in game three, and he keeps his hand. And I have a hand of uh, City of Traders. Make sure I remember this right. And I know the cards that matter. It's like, it's City of Traders. It's lodestone golem. It's Mox Opal. I think I've got a Wasteland. I've got warping whale walking ballista some other card that like doesn't matter right and i sit there and i am in the tank for a while i'm like is this a keepable hand on the draw do i just do i have to mulligan down to get chalice because i need like what what is going on with this hand what can i do and i'm like if i can land lodestone golem on turn two i think that's my best shot i think that's better than than everything else I can do. So how do I sequence this? Like, what do, do I do? I play Wasteland and just kind of open up and see what he does, or what do I do here? And I read all my cards over and over again. And I'm like, I'm going to keep this hand. 
I, I read Warping Whale, and there's a fourth ability on Warping Whale. Indeed, um, there is. Yeah. <laughs> there is a fourth ability on that card. So he goes, he sets up, he probes me on turn one. He sees everything that I have. He's like, okay. And I, oh, the other card, the, the other card I was forgetting was Steel Overseer. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's I, a blank. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I draw my card for the turn. Uh, not a land, not a mox diamond, not anything that's going to accelerate this hand. I still have to. So I just I play City of Traders. I don't play Steel Overseer. I, I'm just I pass it, pass it to him. So I have mm -hmm. City Keep of Traders up, up with Warping Whale. So if he's going to try to cast a sorcery that matters, I'm going to counter it. And if he doesn't, I'm going to make a Scion. I'm going to sacrifice the next turn. I'm going to play Wasteland. I'm going to tap out for Lodestone Goal. I'm going to go all in on the strategy. And that's how it played out. He, he set himself up again. I'm like, make a Scion. And he's like, oh, I did not think that there was any way you could get the Lodestone Goal. But there was. There was. And I just lost. So... You know that I think that was one of those moments where I, I I stopped because I wasn't necessarily caring and I wasn't like overly nervous and I'm like do I have to do this? It didn't really matter, a and I was able to find the line that that was good enough to keep. Yeah. Yeah. That not only I mean it was an absolute it was an absolute snap key. The more and more I think about it, it's just I did not did not see that at first and I was a little panicky and. You know, maybe if there was more writing on the game, or maybe if I didn't have that epiphany earlier, like maybe I wouldn't have found that line. But I was able to find it. I was very happy, very happy with the way that game played out. Yeah, it's nice to surprise him with the turn two lowstone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like again, you know, he had probed me. He knew everything in my hand, and he's and he like, even I, together. Mm -hmm. I mean, outside of that, I mean, Evan. You have any stories you'd like to talk about? Would you want to talk about your experience, or do you just want to talk about a lure age? My loss was actually my first loss was to one of the Crixus pilots in the top eight. Um, his last name was like Plum Plum something. First name, last name, I'm not sure. Quiet guy. It's nice. Very good pilot playing Crixus. Um, but yeah, I lost to that. I kept a terrible hand uh, in game three or. I think it was in three or two. I'm not sure. And then from there, my next loss was to Eldrazi, and he was also in the top eight. He's like Seth Black or something like that. I don't know. He was the Eldrazi player. I was in the top eight. I had lost to him. Then I carried on from there. I was very tired. But, yeah, by like round nine, I was just really feeling it. I was like... I think that's where I picked up that loss with Eldrazi. Uh, luckily, the Beta Fiend, huge salute to him, came through with a sandwich, really nice sandwich from, uh, well. from a deli. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So, so Beta Fiend came through. Beta Fiend is uh, one of the Elder Tusk, and he came through with really nice deli sandwiches uh, for his Tusk teammates. I'm sure he got one for Sean French, I'm assuming, too. Uh, Frenchie, one of the Tusks, was also doing very well. Uh, he was on Tin Fins. I think he got like 74th or 70th or something in that range. But, I mean, he did well, which is good. I mean, like the only Tusks that didn't, I think, that died earlier were Greg Mitchell, uh, also known as Ponder, and uh, Beta Fiends. I don't know what Greg was on, but Beta Fiend, I believe, was on Show and Tell. They cut out early. But then the rest of us kind of carried on pretty well. 
Um, but anywho, I went on, I think after Eldrazi, I think I played a Blue Rage. I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think that was around that was around ten, yeah, because I lost yeah, you to Eldrazi in, in round nine. You played yeah. in ten and I played him in eleven. And then Yeah, so so I sat down with the Blue Rage. This guy is was really cool. Um actually. Like he was pretty chill. I think we had both just come off of a loss. You know, and it was round ten. I was definitely showing my wear and tear, and he uh, he was real nice. He was down to earth. He was still pretty well grounded mentally. Um, we kind of chatted about you know it would suck to lose again, and um, I was kind of indifferent about it. I was more so just wanted to leave, you know, more than anything. It's it gets strange because you're kind of in a situation where you just want to die. And but you don't want to lose, like you don't you don't just want to give up, you know, like you you're. I mean, you're still playing for stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to lose. I hope someone beats me. Yeah, that's kind of exactly like I'm. Yeah, very fine with losing, and like someone beats me, that's just fine. But quitting, yeah, quitting would be pretty weak uh, at that stage. Express that to him, and he was a little more adamant about how much it would suck to lose at this point, uh, which makes sense. I mean, we've been playing Magic for just, you know, it was like 10 hours at that point. Yeah, Something right. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, yeah, that would suck, you know, whatever. And like, uh, we just kind of went into playing from there. And, you know, again, he's a real nice guy. Anyways, we play and he's like, you know, he shows me like, he plays like, you know, DRS and goes into Parasitic Strix. I'm just like, fuck like i get him game one game two like i have him but he just like stabilizes off uh like death right shaman getting him over to like 22 life and then he's like gets down like a strix and uh well gets baleful strix and parasitic strix um and then he's like riding out on two parasitic strix and drs basically setting it up where he can he's draining me um and, uh, and you know, there's a point where he can actually just swing in and kill me as well. Because I've taken, I've taken damage, I think, off Sylvan Library. I dumped some life into that. And then just kind of fetching, thought-seizing. There's a ton of disruption. He was only holding lands, like, the whole game. I should have got through. But it was, it was cool, like, allure and stabilized with just the dudes. And, uh, yeah, he got me. Um, so we went to game three. And... He was again a snap keep, and I was like, "All right, you know, he's he's. I'm, I'm assuming that he's going for combo this time fast, and he's you know, gonna throw mana dorks at me and try to just go off." I don't remember much of the small plays in the beginning, but uh, he basically, you know, cantripped some, and I thrown out some targeted discard, and uh, one. I know one of the times he had brainstormed around a thought seize. Um, so I was assuming Lurin was sitting there. Continued on setting up, and I got Merit Lage going, and uh, he had blockers up. So it was looking tough. I had gotten Bob out, though, who is really good in Dark Depths. He always, always has been. I've played Dark Depths for, I mean, probably almost four years now. It's gone through a lot of different ways of approaching the deck, but Bob has always been solid. I've put him down for a bit because of like post miracles. Different answers are more creature removal based and kind of focusing on DNT. 
you know, Bob was really good, especially, and of course, Sylvan Library against Miracles. Um, they're just threats that they had to answer. Um, so they worked as good bait, et cetera. But anywho, I had gotten Bob out, you know, who was an all-star and uh, I had three Bobs in my sideboard. So the idea was, was that I show them library possibly in game one and they don't see much stuff to try to remove except maybe a safekeeper. And then in game two, I keep in the library or just get rid of it and then all the Bobs come in. And so I'm getting good card advantage. They've lost their removal and I'm basically have like a nice guy for, you know, edict because they're bringing in edicts at that point and getting rid of probably things like abrupt decay more than likely. So Bob works well in that strategy and just as a solid card. But anyway, I got Bob rolling and I think I had library going as well, which is just anyways, because of those two cards combined, I found Sajiri step and uh, I just land Sajiri step protection from blue swing. That was it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's an important card in that matchup. I was going to say, because he's got all these flying creatures, that it's kind of difficult for you to win, but if, if you have that card, yeah. That's, exactly. That's exactly why that card exists for that list, huh? Yep, yeah, um, for situations like that. I mean, like, protecting from swords was a big deal for a long time, you know, while Miracles was around, because it wasn't just Miracles playing swords. There's just swords everywhere, um, but there's less of it, but it's still good for that. But, yeah, definitely swinging in for the kill there was huge, and it's exactly the card I was trying to find. I didn't have tutors for it, um, but yeah, I got him, and uh, he showed me his combo in hand. You know, he was going to kill me the next turn. The plan was he's going to block, wow, so close. and then he's going to lure in, you know, combo me out, uh, which I was kind of expecting as well. So uh, it worked out. That was definitely variance, um, you know, kind of, Cut down a little bit from Sylvan Library and Bob, but uh, yeah, we sh we shook hands. He was you know, a little tilted, but overall he was pretty much in good spirits. But he was like, "Man, I," he really explained to me that he better not lose his next match, you know, or he's gonna like really lose his shit. And I was like, "Yeah, I, I hear you, man." You know, like it's just like, "Yeah," he's like, "No, I'm really, you know, I'd be upset." Like, yeah, gotcha. That's the stage for uh, for my. 11th round with him, I would say. Yeah, so why don't you speak about your next match? Uh, it's also versus the same guy playing Learn. And again, I, you know, we shook hands. I, I, I found him to be, um, you know, a fun, a fun opponent. Um, I thought that he was, you know, smart, smart guy, knew, knew what he was doing. But obviously, I had an edge going into the matchup because he was on tilt, you know, like, and it was obvious. It was kind of apparent to me. He, again, started up this conversation saying, man, it would suck, you know, this was my situation, now here I am, I have to play this thing out, you know, it's even possible that we, we could both win and not get prizes and this and that, you know, so I could tell that he was a little on tilt and I was just there to have a good time, you know. Game one, he's on the play, he opens up, or actually I might have been on the play, I think I just make a normal land drop and say, you know, go. He plays Vernant Catacombs into Forest into Deathrite Shaman and I'm like, I like, he must be on Elf. Uh, I have the Abyss in hand, and I have an ability to get it out on turn two. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get to Abyss, his Deathrite Shaman. He's on Elves. This is going to be a really, really good, easy game one for me. And so I follow up the next turn. I just jam the Abyss out there, and he force wills it. And I'm like, oh, this is not, you're on something completely different. And we had a long back and forth game. 
Uh, he didn't draw as a learn until like turn 20 or something. I don't know. It took a while. It was a back and forth game. You know, obviously I, I figured it out when I started seeing, um, not even necessarily like shardless agents, but, uh, you know, like, uh, what's the, the harpy canopy harpy. Is that the name of it? Craven, Craven yeah, harpy. Yeah. Cavern. Craven? One of those. Yeah, yeah. Cavern or Craven. Figured it out then. So he wins game one. Okay. So he is, you know, a little less on tilt. Game two, I don't have a great opening hand, but I decide to keep it. I think I have a Sorcerer's Spyglass. This is one of the few matchups where I was very actually happy to have have Scryglass in the main because it did do some work, and it was it was always there. So I keep a hand with Scryglass. I have an Ink Moth Nexus and a Steel Overseer. He keeps, you know, like a Brup Decay hand. He doesn't have any combo pieces. You know, it's a solid hand for him, and he just draws very poorly the entire Entire game, and I somehow managed to win. Uh, I was able to activate my Steel Overseer, one counter on my Ink Moth Nexus, and he wasn't even able to find a flyer to block my Ink Moth Nexus over five turns, and I infected him uh, for the win in game two. So he's clearly just like, I I'm even like, I don't know how that happened. I kind of like, I'm like, whatever, man, like, it's magic, it happens. I, I, I still. Think about the number of potential outs, even just getting a blocker for a couple of turns and how I managed to avoid all of it. So, I mean, even just a blocker, if he can kill it, if he can kill it, I don't have a win con again. And, and then like a 2-2 two, two Parasite or, or anything like that just blocks, kills my 2-2 two, two Infect land, and I'm really in trouble because now I have to do like 20 damage of normal damage to him because I've only been doing Infect, but I avoid it. And I get there. Game three, he's on the play. Again, I see Sorcerer's Scryglass. I've got a pretty decent hand. It's got Lodestone Golem and some other things in there. Lodestone Golem is interestingly, like, you know, the Abyss can't hit artifact creatures, so his, his Baleful Strips and his Shardless Agents are extremely good. They also get around uh, Lodestone Golem, which is, you know, interesting. You know, I've got all these cards that are good in every other matchup, but they're not that good in this learn matchup. So he keeps his hand, plays Burning Catacombs, and passes the turn. And I play Ancient Tomb. I cast Sorceress Scryglass, and he lets it resolve. So I'm like, okay, I see his hand. It's got like Polluted Delta. It's got two Brainstorms. It's got two Allurans. It's got two Force of Will. Okay, this is. I'm like, that's fine. Uh, I'll name Verdict Catacomb with my Sorcerer's Scryglass. And this is when, you know, Savage. he just starts going on full tilt, right? Because now he can't even brainstorm at the end of my turn and set that up. Like, it really, really, like, it's just a huge mistake. And it's one of those things where, again, the stage has been set. You know, he's on tilt having just lost to you and just getting infected somehow in game two. And he just makes this this kind of just the brand new card he, but is it really a new card i mean you know it, it's just a mind just a mistake right and and they happen it just so happened to him at a very inopportune time and um you know throughout the game it still is a back and forth game it's close down the wire I, like i have a lowson goldman play he is somehow shardless agenting he taps out i basically landlock him because he can't like i'm able to wasteland another one of his lands which which was like he had the ability to play a basic and then a dual land, but he played a dual land first and then 
a basic force, which was a mistake, which prevented him from getting the three mana for a turn. You know, again, that was a, a tilt a tilt decision, like one mistake leads to another mistake kind of thing. You know, he is actually, like, he's shardless agenting into Baleful Strict. He's getting the cards off the top. He does that twice in a row to kind of stave off death and basically remove one of my cards from the battlefield each time with, with, uh, with the Baleful Strict, because I'm still just going to keep attacking into it. And, you know, I'm slow playing um, the fact that I still have a City of Traders. I think I have a City of Traders in play and uh, Ancient Tomb in my hand. You know, my life is, I've, I've really whittled away my life from Ancient Tomb and cast spells. And the last turn of the game, you know, he had just chained Baleful Strict and Charlotte's Agent. I have a Walking Bliss in play. I uptick at four. I clear out the board. I attack with Lodestone Golem. You know, I'm like one, one, two. And attack for the win. And he... Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Shakes my hand and then immediately starts punching the table. Goes full out, full out mode. <laughs> like he is, yeah, I mean, he's like, you know, like, you didn't even come to play for prizes. You know, I can't believe I made that mistake. And I'm, I'm the entire time, man, I'm like, dude, this has happened to me before. You know, it sucks. It sucks. I don't know what to tell you. You know, like, I'm like scooping up my card. I know he's not going to attack me because, you know, like, he's just mad at himself. And, right. I mean, again, when, you know, the entire day, I, I'm just there to have fun. And, you know, like I said, I, you know, I'm a competitive player. I travel these things to, to be competitive. And I know my younger self, I've had moments uh, of tilt like this. And this kid was in his, in his probably mid-20s. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really an age guesser. Yeah, I'm, I'm 34. You know, I, I would say that I acted probably similar when I was in my mid twenties and I would go, go to these things and, and uh, you know, if I lost my last round for prizes, I would be upset at myself that same way. But, you know, it was just like, kind of like a, it was a validation for my, my mental state at the end. I'm like, you know what? Like just go there, have a good time and you won't make mistakes, you know? And I feel like he was, he was very much putting a lot of pressure on himself um, in that last match because of, I mean, he obviously, I guess he lost his last three matches at that tournament to not get prizes. So, you know, I can understand the frustration. You know, I still think, I, I think he's a really good player. I, I didn't see a lot of mistakes other than that one, like, oops, I can't believe I didn't activate my fetch land before this thing resolves kind of thing. Like, honestly, he, he wasn't making mistakes. You know, it just wasn't in the cards for him. And I still think it would have been a close game even if uh, didn't make those mistakes. I mean, it, it's probably very likely that he would have won, but I'm not I'm not 100% certain that he would have. I don't know. It was just very it was a very interesting experience, and um, you know, just keep your head, keep your head in a Magic tournament. I think that's the the biggest walk away, you know, and something that I'm going to definitely pursue is to just stay calm and, and stay loose and have fun, and you know, don't worry about it, you know. Uh, it's very unlikely that you're going to win the Magic Tournament, even though you you really, really probably want to, especially with the, the great prizes that they give away at these Eternal Weekends with these alternate arts. I mean, man, I, I wish that I had that Black Lotus. Like, that Black Lotus was a thing of beauty. And even the Savannah was gorgeous. And uh, But, you know, you just have to just go there and have fun and, and be be there with your friends, make new friends, you know, play, play the game to your best of ability and, and learn, learn about your deck learn about the other decks in the format and and just get better uh, those should be your goals and then winning the tournament is, is something that might just happen for you if you 
if you've accomplished all those other goals first. Yeah, well said. Okay, so I sat down for my final round at eight and two and uh, sat across from my opponent. We were both exhausted. I think we were both feeling pretty miserable, making some comments about how hungry we were and how tired we were. And then like a draw situation came up as far as an option and we both kind of thought about it. And uh, we just concluded that it'd be best just to draw into, you know, top 32 and be able to go eat and get our brains back into our heads and, and think straight again. I asked what he was playing after we ID'd and he said he was on tests. His name was uh, Alex Poling. And I told him I was on dark depths and, uh, so yeah, that was pretty much it. It's uh, Tess is tougher than Ant. It's, uh, it's faster, obviously. Um, it doesn't utilize the graveyard, so my bogs aren't as strong. It can just go in for fast kill, so it kind of becomes a race. Could have kind of gone either way, but it was nice to go and kind of just walk away from that match and be done with the whole tournament at that point and have a decent finish. So that was it, and uh, it felt absolutely great to walk out of that building you know i know there's not much they can do as far as extending the tournament i think with the scheduling with you know vintage and legacy kind of back to back you know and having the top eight on sunday i mean makes sense i mean perhaps they could fit in like a round or two and then top eight but i feel like it's kind of burns through a lot of people's time and makes forces a lot of people to stay for sunday also so you know, just two rounds of relevance on the next day, and you've got people that are staying an entire night, getting back there early, and then they lose round one and they're out. Yeah, you know, yeah, over, I, contention. And so, I, you know, I, there's really not a good solution. I think like a 30 minute break at like round eight. Like, I would rather be there an extra half an hour on Saturday night than, you know, basically just playing straight through. I mean, if I'm already there till 10 30 at night, I'm fine with staying there till 11 at night if I have like 30 minutes to just like get my head back on. I would love to have some kind of scheduled lunch. Um, yeah, or lunch, I know it's yeah. not it's not feasible to do it all at once, but if they kind of like staggered it, if they said you know tables one through 100 are going to lunch, you know for the first 30 minutes, and then tables 101 through 200 are going for the next 30 minutes, you could keep around going. It's, it's kind of a, just a tough thing to solve, and they really don't have a good solution for it. Um, I mean, yeah. dude. Food and hunger have definitely cost me a, a, a very high-profile Magic tournament. In, in, um, I guess it was 2013 at, at Eternal Weekend. The Vintage, I was the lap leader after uh, either five or six rounds. I think I, I got to six wins, and I didn't have time to eat. I didn't eat, and I just started making play mistakes because, you know, if I, if I am hungry, I, I'm, I'm focusing on other things that aren't Magic-related. You know, like... I wish there was a simple solution. I mean, I bring food to events now just so that I, kn I know that I will never get back into that situation. But I know I had multiple winning ends at, at that event to make top eight and be one of the top seeds, and I lost all of them, and they were ticky-tack errors that I would not have made had, you know, my, had my mind been focused on, on only magic, had every other need that my body had had been satisfied, including hunger that I, you know, would have had a much different tournament. You know, I, I don't think that you can split it out over multiple days. I think you just kind of have to just come prepared and, and, and have your own food. And, and ideally, you have friends that just bring you food, like like Paul. 
Yeah, it's a huge advantage of being um, with teams and, and traveling with friends is that, I mean, they're, they're out there, they're looking out for you, especially if you're doing well. I, I remember I was talking to Alan, and I'm like, holy fuck, man, like, if, if Evan's still in this, if he only has, like, if he's X and 1 or something, I'm going to go get him a sandwich, and it turned out that somebody else had already done that for you. Oh, you know, appreciate there's, it. There was a moment in that tournament where I was considering dropping out and getting you a sandwich, even no, you know, I mean, you have all the tough boys to do it, but I would have done it too. So. I'm, I'm, I appreciate that, and I'm glad you stuck in it. Oh, I'm very glad I stuck in it too. I, you know, it was a very rewarding tournament for me. So, do you guys want to just uh, do a little quick glance through our top 64? We have the full 32 listed out. I think one thing that we should just touch on right away is uh, Owen from Atlanta, Owen Watson, who played. He got 24th place at Legacy Champs. Yeah, he was uh, very live for that top eight, and it just didn't work out. He was playing uh, Gerard Tribal. There's different ways to look at it, but I always had the sense it was kind of a dead guy pox sort of build. Yeah, he's but, just playing a lot of Invitaros. But he was doing really well. He was live for top eight. He had a camera match. Yeah, Owen was playing great magic throughout the, the entire tournament. Do you want to speak to his deck a little bit? Because he's a fellow uh, tax man. I mean, I, I guess I know it more than most people, I guess, have seen the list, but I don't, I just, it's just a value, um, maybe he's running the four full Vindicate, what's the, what's the Ghost Assassin Planeswalker? He's running Kaya Ghost Assassin. Yeah, that, that's a sweet little uh, inclusion in that list. It seems like, you know, he's got cards that he can flicker, and uh, I guess getting life back for some of those lists, you know, even if it's two life versus a Delver list or versus a Burn list, it, it's relevant. Now that you can play multiple Lilianas, you should probably be playing one of Liliana of the Last Hope as well as the Liliana of the Veil he's running. But his list, you know, he's worked on the list for a while. He's gone through a lot of iterations. He knows the deck through and through and uh, really put up a great performance. You know, there's, there's a story about how he next leveled a combo player in one of the rounds where he reveals his hand and he keeps doing all the math keeps doing all the math, and he's like, no matter what I take, you're going to get to five mana, and I'm going to die. I guess I'll take this Cabo Ritual in the end. Like, he, you know, he does all the math for all the cards, and then the kid casts uh, Reign of Filth and sacrifices two of his swamps, and is like, oh, wait a second. I, I, I'm not at five. I only have four. And Owen's like, yeah, I know. I just next-leveled you. Uh, I can't play no, that. Owen played the card of, oops, I guess I miscounted. <laughs> Yeah, or something like that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It was it was definitely... I wish he was here to tell the story himself. Um, the way he described it to me was essentially that he, he went through and he agonized over it and he counted to five multiple times. You know, kind of assured his opponent that his opponent was going to cast that nauseam and win the game. Um, he passes back to him. The opponent goes through the lines that Owen had basically told him to do for mana and is essentially... He's, he's hemmed himself and sacrificed two lands and then has to pass turn back. So... I don't know, it's an interesting story, but um, actually there's a lot of cool decks in the top 64. I mean, you look at the top eight, and it's definitely the, the Delver list, and it's the, uh, you know, that's, that's what shows as having done well. But when you look a little deeper, you've got like multiple mix decks, you've got Death and Taxes, you've got Maverick, you've got, um, you know, you've got Greg's Chalice deck, you've also got Metalworker decks, more traditional Metalworker decks, um, and all sorts of stuff just kind of populated up the, uh, the top 64. Well, yeah, isn't there, wasn't there, like, some dinosaur um, 
Yeah, so that was, I think, Nick ninth Bet. place or something like that. One of them. He's basically just playing um, the old kind of scape shift decks uh, that Nick had used to be able to play with, with, with Burning Wish. Um, and the dinosaurs are really just giving them that mid-range curve. There's just a lot of people not playing basics right now, so you're going to, you know, you're going to ramp faster than fair amount of the decks. It, it makes a little bit of sense that it would do pretty good. I mean, the, the chances are probably not extremely high that, you know, going in there with Nick Fit, but I mean, if you know the deck really well with everything in Legacy, I mean, as far as most decks, you will do a percentage better than, you know, everybody else who's going to be playing that deck. You know, it's just... No, I, absolutely, and I've always felt that with Legacy tournaments is that you just, you play what you know and you play it well, and that's usually good enough to win those matches. Um, yeah. Legacy's in kind of a nice spot right now where it's, it's a lot of Delver decks, so you're not playing a whole lot of fast combo besides Sneak and Show. And so as long as you're, you have... You know, more or less a mid-range game plan. Um, you're probably okay against the Delver decks. Uh, you're probably okay against the check pile decks because you know, a deck like Nifik just goes bigger. So it's, it's nice to have that option to actually see those decks do pretty well. Maverick actually is a deck I wanted to, to consider. And you know, look at the, the decks that uh, that did well. I mean, I think it's a good choice for the weekend. I haven't played the list in uh, in years just because I, I thought it was was so far behind all the combo decks and so far behind Miracles that it just wasn't worth playing. But uh, Looks pretty nice right now, so I might try and go back to that at some point and just have some fun with it. Looks like I didn't know this until you know I started looking at this email, but there are at least three mud lists in this top sixty-four, and, and you know there's a couple of lists that we don't know who whose deck they what they play, but metalworker stacks, mud, mud, and then my my affinity list. So there were a few colorless lists. The Eldrazi list was the top performing one, and there doesn't. It only appears to be that one Eldrazi list in the top 64. Decent amount of diversity. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the top eight, and I felt like it was like, oh, brainstorms and delvers and whatnot. But that, you know, when you go deeper into this, it, it this top eight could have ended up being a lot different. I think I think you guys are well, right in saying that Legacy is in a great spot right now. Owen was live for top eight. I would have put, you know, black-white in, in top eight. I think the Nickfit guys were, uh, were live for top eight. You could have had Nick Fit in a 2017 Legacy event, top eight. Um, and that's that's quite the uh, quite the story to tell. You know, the, the whole top 16 is is basically a, a reversal of the top eight, and so those are basically all just one match difference. It really only takes you know one or two bad matchups in the day to really kind of mix your chances, and so we could have certainly seen an entirely different set of decks actually on top eight cut. I'm just gonna read off the decks really fast for top 32 at least. Bug Delver, Rug Delver, Grixis Delver, Esper Deathblade, Check Pile, Grixis Delver, Eldrazi Stompy, Grixis Delver, Miracles, Nick Shift, Nick Fit, Big Red, Grixis Delver, Sneak and Show, Death and Taxes, Infect, Grixis Delver, Green White Maverick, Four Color Loan, Grixis Delver, Omnitel, Mud, Tess, Gerard Tribal, uh, Black Green Depths, Grixis Delver, Grixis Delver, Death and Taxes, Lands, Miracles, Kespile. What the fuck is Kespile? I have no idea what Kespile is. And then Black Red Reanimator. The top 64 gets a lot more interesting. We have Tribal Fairies and Wizards deck. We have Abyss Affinity. We have Sylvan Plug. Another Black Green Depths deck. Another Mud. We have Infect. 12 post list. Uh, lands. and So it seems pretty diverse. It definitely gets more diverse, though, once you pass the top 32, I would say. Card Titan posted a, a metagame breakdown that basically showed that 
Um, you know, the check pile and the Grixis Cellar decks were basically the, uh, the most present decks in the room. Of course, there's some natural, some natural logic to them, you know, actually putting up results in the top 32. So the four of us coming from Atlanta. Well, I mean, we all played different decks. We all played, we all, yeah. Um, exactly. And the non-blue, too. So we had black, white, you know, pox, you know, Stoneblade deck and elves and abyss affinity and black green deaths, you know. So, I, I mean, the fact that we can all do well in a tournament shows that format's still in pretty good shape. It's always nice to see people's um, little passion projects do well. Um, I talked to the guy that played the, um, the, the, the fairies list, and he's essentially yeah. he's running like spell setter sprites and that kind of thing. Um, he had a great time, and he said the deck was pretty good. So, uh, just fun to see those put up results. So I guess we can jump over to the Star City Games results, kind of just touch base. None of us played in that. There's some results to at least go over. The top 16 is cool. We see Metalworker made 16th. It uh, seems like Metalworker is in a good position right now. I played it in our Legacy Monthly just to get a, kind of a feel for it because I felt like it, was, it looked like it was, well, A, a lot of fun to play. I like big mana ramp decks and... Uh, I think it's a solid Chalice deck right now. Um, I think that Eldrazi is great too, but I think there might be a little more play with Metalworker and has a little more uh, reach to prison effects. So cool to see it kind of make its marks again. It's been a while since we've seen kind of mud show up consistent, or at least have a little bit of a run, which we're kind of seeing right now. So that's awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's always a strong deck. Um, yeah. Overall, the, the top 16 is pretty interesting for the Classic. I mean, it is a rebound event, um, so there's going to yeah, be this Delver. So salute to Burn for taking first place. It's, uh, it's a great accomplishment, and you've sent a small message to the community, and uh, it's appreciated. It's such a pleasure that even when you're, like, losing and you're going to lose, to just, like, fucking bolt you. Just three to the dome. I'm playing Burn. I'm playing Burn. What else do we have to discuss? Is there, is there anything else? I guess that's it. I don't, I don't have much else. Greg, do you have any final thoughts, or are you good to go? Well, that's it, man. I said my piece. Got any shout-outs, man? Shout-outs yeah, to you guys. Uh, my, my team was, was amazing all, all weekend. Uh, really, you know, great presence at old school. You know, I mean, we, we, did, our, we did well in, in all the tournaments, except for vintage. I only think we had, like, two vintage, maybe three vintage players total. But we did well in Legacy. Owen Watson did extremely well. Uh, very proud of him. Shame he did not make top eight because it would have been a, a great top eight for him to potentially even take the whole thing down. But yeah, Jason Jacko for throwing an excellent old school party again. And Dominic Dottier for being an amazing, amazing alcoholic. Well, yeah, I guess that's uh, it for Tusk Talk uh, episode number 23. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll have a vintage episode coming up a little before or after this. So technically, I guess this could be episode 22. But I'm assuming that the vintage episode comes out before. Uh, that will be with Sean O'Brien and Greedy Mike. Greedy Mike got top eight at Vintage Champs. So uh, I'm sure I'll have some interesting things to share. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Somewhere that should be For all the world to see A statue of a fool made of stone An image of a man Who let love slip through his hand And then let him stand there All alone 
I mean, my my particular uh, problem with it at this point is that it has a two a two ass. It's like, I mean, how could you make this card any better? They're like, oh well, we can make it like not an O one. I mean, you would play an O one Deathrite Shaman. You make it a one two. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like, are, are you kidding me? Like, I have to I have to spend two two counters for my walking list to kill this thing. Like, it's just absurd, you know? Make this two card. Two color card that you can use any mana to cast it even better. That makes perfect sense. Like, okay, so Birds of Paradise can fly, Noble Hierarch is exalted. Those abilities are nowhere near as powerful as Deathrite Shamans. Taking away life, gaining life, and having a, a body. Like, it can legit, like, you know, block Goblin Lackey, you know? It can, it can block, Exiling you know, Exile, being able to exile spells, lands, and creatures from yards is, is incredible. What's the possibility that that card gets banned? I mean, it just well, sucks because that's a good card for. I mean, it's like a good card for like decks like Maverick and stuff. Like even oh you know, yeah, like, yeah yeah yeah. Like a lot of the, the fringe decks that are powerful would be bad without it. The format would just, be so much healthier if Leovold was was absent. Like there would be oh, yeah. so many more lists. Well, and if Deathrite Shaman was just like. Like just green, you know. Like it wouldn't be <laughs> like it doesn't need to be green and black, you know. It's just right. like extra greed. But yeah, it's just like I think it's it's just like it's so close to just being tweaked a bit, you know. And it's just kind of like frustrating, yeah. Like where it just How becomes like would would play a turn one death right on green. You know, it's the number was it's so much smaller than what it is right now. Um, right, it'd be down to like Elves and Maverick. Um, and I don't think any other list would actually even want to play it if it was just green. 